to Big Red Couch, the podcast about making role-playing games. A group of GMs and players draw ideas from the mystery box and bring their game pitches to you. Good evening, Esther, and welcome to the Big Red Couch. I'm Ben. And I'm Craig. There's not really a lot of change in that one, to be honest. No, no, we really have to work on having more personalities or something, even if it's just the two of us. I blame time zones. If the world was not spherical, this sort of shit wouldn't be happening. Indeed, indeed. That is something the Flat Earthers never address, is that as bastard-hearted it is as we've just gone into daylight savings, how would it even work if it was flat? How does how does that even happen? Well, there is that rapper who's trying to raise the funds to launch a satellite to prove that the the world is not a sphere. So maybe it could be folded into that budget. Hmm, maybe, maybe. Well, if they can explain daylight savings to the folks who think the the extra hour of sunlight makes the uh, blinds and their, their, their curtains fade faster, I think we'll be good. Tonight? I keep saying tonight because it is, of course, like nine o'clock at night in New Zealand and it's breakfast time where you are. More or less, yeah. I mean, I, th- I think you should go with saying tonight. I can go along Indeed. with saying this morning and it will be charmingly eclectic. That is the best we can hope for. <laughs> awesome. Okay. As I say, as I say, this evening, at episode 97, we are pondering the contribution of one Will Myers, who I've checked, and apparently he does does own up to this one, the suggestion that my life is essentially the tale of Juan Bobo, only dumber, which is cool. And that's this is an interesting one. I have learned something about another culture, which, you know, being as I've just practically middle-aged, is apparently not supposed to happen anymore. You do regard the entire rest of the world as being filled with angry ghosts. So, I am still interested in the views, perspectives, cultures, and lifestyles of the angry ghosts. I just don't want to be in the proximity of them. I'm fairly open-minded about an intellectual exchange, just, you know, being in their malevolent immediacy. That's all. <laughs> malevolent immediacy is a fantastic phrase. And I think we're a punk band in the 70s? We can only hope. I'll have to link the How to Care for Your Introvert video. That was pretty, pretty funny. Oh, yes, please do. Amusingly, for somebody whose go-to approach when he can't come up with an idea is just to Google the various words and see what happens, I never actually Googled Juan Bobo. Oh, this is going to be exciting. Shall I Shall I give you a bit of potted, uh, I'm trying to say anthropomorphism, but that anthropology. Please do. This isn't anthropomorphism until it gets very weird. Remember that you said that. <laughs> what? It's going to get weird. The bit before that. This isn't anthropomorphism. (laughs) So, lay lay your wisdom on me on this fine morning. Okay, my very, very light investigation into the the cultural background of Juan Bobo is that it's a quite a diverse collection of tales from Puerto Rico about a young gentleman whose name translates uh, literally to Simple John having misadventures and occasionally being naively wise or the you know the, the wise fool and the, the tales are supposed to be instructional kind of aesop fables kind of things generally about don't be silly like one a lot of the time little folk tales and also encoded into them is a lot of cultural history about puerto rico and a fair amount of sub, sort of subversive messages about colonialism and how parts of the society interact. Well, at least that's what I've been led to believe. I've seen a few things on YouTube, charming little tales of, frankly, fellows a little bit thick, but he seems to be doing okay. Good-hearted, that's, that's I think, the word that we're, we should use. And it's a thread in that culture. The sad thing, this has come up during a time where 
Hurricane Maria it is, has totally screwed up all the infrastructure and killed a bunch of people. And it's my, my distinct hope that by the time this comes out, the situation will have improved immensely. But if you have any uh, spare cash rattling around, I would strongly suggest if you would like to help the inhabitants of Puerto Rico who enjoy the fascinating status of being part of the United States that the United States can't recall consistently as part of the United States, might like the John Oliver thing from a couple of years ago. And I suspect John Oliver will probably be revisiting that. So if he does that in coming week, drop that in there as well. Spare a thought for these folks because it sounds like they're in a really difficult situation. Infrastructure has been wrecked. Health, sanitation, law and order, etc., are quite badly threatened. So it's unfortunately a bit somber time that that part of the world has had really, really bad luck as far as storms have gone. But most folks are at least aware of the places that have been impacted. And there's probably a bit of like hurricane fatigue happening at this time. So I hope we don't forget. I will admit that until you sent me that link to the fundraising appeal thing, I didn't actually know that Puerto Rico had been hit by one of the hurricanes. Oh, I can send you graphs about how little they're talking about it. It's quite scary. Mm. The amount of news coverage, yes, it's the third big hurricane, but we were made aware that these things were were lining up like buses. Yeah, there's a holding pattern of hurricanes because not all of them can hit at the same time. I did see something a little while ago where various meteorologists were doing the, well, what, what does happen when two really big hurricanes merge? Hmm, looks like we're about to find out. Yeah, but that or they kind of just sort of bump along because it's like an air pressure thing. And it's like, Mm. okay, you're over there, I'm over here, it's all good. It's not great for anyone in the past, but it's kind of a sad confluence. But we will bravely make the best of it and drop some links for charities. There's one where you also get a bunch of science fiction books and so forth out of it. So you can at least have something to read while you're feeling that the uh, weather is picking on people at the moment, uh, done by a Fireside Fiction Company. So we'll drop that in the show as well. So this chap, Juan, is a star of these little tales of life experience. And I think it varies wildly. I think it's become a bit of a template for various, various things. So that is the, that is the cultural background. One Bobo in a nutshell. I think people could do their own little research, but he, he sort of lives in the same space as the Aesop's Fables, um, a character called Amelia Bedelia, which I've heard of and I don't know a lot about, who takes um, instructions to ridiculous extremes. Uh, I understand. Um, he basically, he's the he's the guy who does the silly thing, and he's off. He's generally pictured as a happy-go-lucky chap with relatively ragged clothing and a very impressive straw hat with a with a, with a sort of like a, a large peak, but also comes out to a brim that just frays out, so it looks like like almost like an oversized crown gotcha so it's kind of kind of his his deal all right oh do you i have come up with an idea based pretty squarely on the um on what wikipedia and 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 so forth would tell me about the the source all right well do you, do you want to go i mean i could go with my completely you should go later on in the episode i have to accuse you for ruining democracy for new zealand but we'll uh, we can carry on with that later i am looking forward to that bit <laughs> awesome uh, just as a note to the audience i literally have no idea what he's talking about which is one of the reasons why i'm looking forward to it but you know it seems like the sort of thing i would have done <laughs> would have done hypothetically i can probably supply very perniciously interpreted graphs on this one as well well i mean if you've got graphs i love a good graph 
Of course you do. You're your maps your map nerd. Graphs are just like maps for numbers, really. More or less. Okay. I was struck by the idea that this is a framework for just so stories of a sort. In fact, the run like Rudyard Kipling is another sort of just so stories, another sort of kind of something that fits this pattern. The idea it gave me is to flip around in a role playing context the normal organization of the well the protagonist hood of role playing games. The idea would be that your central character, your one Bobo, or your trying to think of another character, maybe a, like a, a Brer Brer Fox or Brer Rabbit, something like that. The central like character in all these stories is played by one person who is kind of the GM or maybe kind of the only player. They have a task they have to set out to complete. The rest of the people around the table playing the various things that are trying to complicate their life. And since one's general fate is to be set to go and get something from the market or to borrow the neighbor's biggest pot and bring it back or to you know, wash the pig to make sure it's, it's looking its best so it's, it can be sold at market. Misadventures happen, largely because one interprets things remarkably poorly, but giving a framework to actually have these things play out is something that struck me as an idea. And I had a notion, I think, and I think you've probably heard me talk about this before, but the idea of distributing cards, and in this case, totally prefabricated playing cards, to help guide the story is what the, the idea that I've, that, I've come, that I've come up with. I've not come across the idea, the, the notion before, but the idea that if you have effectively Juan's travels laid down as a, a set of playing cards, you happen to have a pack of playing cards handy or something that will resemble that? I do not personally know. Okay. If you cast your, your time back to the seventh form corner room playing 500 for days on end. Watching people play 500, but yes, I, I spent an entire year watching people play 500, and at the end of that year still had no idea what the rules of the game were. I think that may have been the point. I picked it up eventually. But if you recall, all of your non-face cards have pips on them. The idea that I've come up with is that people are given a small hand of cards, maybe four or five, and you can lay them down on the table adjacent to another card, provided that they have the same number of pips on a side, left, right, or top, bottom, and that allows you to play, uh, put another element into the story and continue the, the, the progress. So this means, slightly counterintuitively, that you can put a two by four, because they have two, two rows of pips, the two having one each, the four having two each. Yep. You could also put a six top or bottom of the four because it's got two rows, two columns, sorry. Okay, so it's similar to matching dominoes, but you've got a couple of Pretty different much. dimensions that you can do it in. Okay, I get the idea. Yeah, yeah. So, and working out the numbers and, and how best to line them up is something that's going to need a little bit of workshopping, naturally. And the idea is that I'd have this, the suits represent different sort of compulsions that, that affect the character. And for one, I'd go something like have diamonds represent cunning, spades representing duty, hearts representing community or pro-social kind of feeling, and clubs representing courage. So if a, if a, if a player says, all right, the bridge is very rickety. You've got to be brave to cross it. They would play a uh, a club card, or they'd have a club card and they go, "Okay, what am I going to want to make a challenge about courage?" And the player, the person being Juan Bobo, would come up with something to override that. So they would say, "Okay, I'm going to place a, a heart next to it because Juan's very, very concerned about this community and doing the uh, and fetching whatever it needs to do and so forth, and work those elements in there." 
it's not that the idea would be that you are trying to limit well so the idea is to focus people's engagement with the story and you can just introduce stuff you can make shit up but it's just not wildly off the top of your head bit of structure to the thing bit of structure, a bit of structure. And the face cards would come up as effectively characters. And you can use that as a bit of inspiration for what kind of character that one's trying to, you know, convince to, to let them work on their farm or to lend the, the big cooking pot or something like that. And while the player has pretty much limitless power to, to talk about the resolution, it has to be in the context of simple peasant lad figures out how to, how to fix a problem. And sometimes maybe gets it wrong. It's it's very much bare bones this time, and how you how you scale up to like a big be a big experience that I'm not sure about yet. So does the person playing one change? Um, that's a good question. Probably not. I think it would make it. I'd make it a cool, relatively short game, like a less than an hour kind of thing. Okay, so it's almost almost a reversal of the standard one GM multiple players. Yep, absolutely. Because in this case you have multiple GMs and one player. Okay. Yep, and the player is invested with a lot of power. One is the hero. He's kind of a he does things in a certain way and it was one goes to work. He does he does several very foolish things. Like he gets where he's supposed to put the beans wrong and gets things backwards and people oh and you're very silly and sends him home he milks the cow is given the milk as as payment puts the milk from the pail into the burlap sack and attempts to carry it home things like that but his ridiculousness ends up curing an ailing child by causing him to laugh so yeah it's it's a little it's a little bit magical and i think it would probably be even more effective if your character is more of a cunning kind of trickster because he's, he's supposed to be a bit tricky i've i've most of the story i've seen i've seen seem to be for children so it's less subversive stuff and it's more that gosh isn't one silly but the idea of you playing it more of a as a trickster kind of character who has this sort of tool set but is being challenged by the world to highlight how they deal with things i mean and there's tricksters from all sorts of walks of life i tried to think of a local analog for um one and i'm not aware of one the best sort of fit as like a folklore hero was maui and yeah there's the occasional trickstery bit but mostly not so much maui was not a dim guy he was and he was you know demigod thing yeah. status he would go and do outrageous things to fix problems it's like we've been rowing for a while we haven't spotted the land what do i do i hook a fish big enough to be an island mm. sorted or the days are too short and we can't get anything done Let's just go beat the shit out of the sun so he slows down a bit. A very kind of specific mean mode of dealing with problems, but you know, and there's a distinct difference on the whole competency angle. But yes, it definitely has a sort of it has a particular feel to it. And yeah, that could it could that sort of thing could fit as well. The idea that you would be dealing with dealing with characters and someone you know they would throw up personalities to to get in the way there. So that needs a crap load of work, but. Could be a really simple, portable idea for sort of telling a folkloric kind of tale. And hell, you could build another thing where you either say, use established one, invent one where we're beetles or something. Would the story branch? Because you've got with, I mean, you've got that spatial arrangement thing going on. That is an excellent question. I think it could, but yeah, I'd have to think about how. Possibly if, if they get in a sort of a fetch questy kind of, Ah, I've got to go to this, this person to get this, but they want this. 
basically backtrack and go off the other spur to, to go and find the, another person who has this, this thing. Because that's a fairly heroic quest, even if it is a relatively minor thing. Well, take the MacGuffin to the MacGuffin disposal facility is <laughs> yes. literally the Lord of the Rings. Yeah, but, you know, let it evolve a couple, a couple of layers deep into the, oh, we need to go to this this person to get this, but they need this to get this, they need this to get this. Don't go any deeper than that. And working in things where, you know, once you've got three face cards in your chain, you're good. You don't need any more rules to limit things from sprawling out of control. That would make sense. So, yeah. That's a fine question, the kind of thing that playtesting would hopefully help resolve. I like it. It's certainly it's certainly a very different approach to the protagonist dynamic and to just how play around the table works. Because you know, I know of a number of GMless games, any number of one GM games, but I don't know of that many N minus one GM games, as it were. I think the closest I'm aware of is Kagamatsu. Mm. Yeah, giving the protagonist the majority of the power and then giving the and the rest of the players having giving obstacles to get in the way and there will be some it's incentive for the antagonist players to that this is the other reason to use cards so if you're the person who wants say one to be brave maybe you're you're encouraging them to take bravery things and you can you can look at points afterwards or maybe you've got a specific a specific agenda hidden amongst things and you can select cards to advance your little agenda. Nothing diplomacy level, not even risk level, probably. Just something to keep, you know, keep people awake. So more Cluedo level machination. Yeah, yeah. Actually, that would be that would be fine. That would be, let's race to find out what Juan is Juaning today. Now, for a second there, when you were talking about the, the cards, and I, I flashed to uh, the fact that I, I now possess a deck of scrum poker cards. Okay. Which are apparently thing for technical scrums for deciding what's the next priority. Ah, right, right. So you're talking about agile, agile development and stuff. Probably. I, I've heard of this thing. I, I, I've been promised by many, many slide packs that a company uses this process. And I've noticed people tittering behind their hands or, you know, outright slapping of the knee when this is talked about. I discovered during my job interview that I'd used... I think agile by accident in a previous job, but it was mostly, okay, what's my top priority? What's next? Give, give me a hit list here. Yeah, exactly. It's a way of structuring the fail faster, iterate, test, iterate, test. Um, you, you, you've listened to, you're, I've, I've just started listening to um, 99% Visible, and mm. they are very big on that shit. So I suspect you will have probably so soaked stuff up by osmosis listening to that over the years. Yeah, that's true. It's precisely the process there. Probably, and it's the kind of process that you we should. He turns to the audience, looks them squarely in the eye, and says, "If we were a real role-playing games design slash idea podcast, we'd be encouraging you to do things like this, not just sit around and talk bullshit." But I'm sorry, we're not. All right, so <laughs> you chose poorly, indeed. Uh, yeah, so I wondered for a second, oh, is this some sort of bidding thing? And like, no, actually, you're using the, the arrangement of the cards, which is much more fun for me. As you say, it would need a crap ton of playtesting, but so should everything. I think it's really an obvious where it'll fall down at this point. I mean, some things you go, okay, this is going to be the, the tricky part. And I was like, look at this guy, I, I don't know, let's try it. Maybe, uh, maybe it's good. I'm not exactly sure where that's going to happen. Yeah. Mm, absolutely. And, you know. Maybe a terrible idea, but you can only try it and find out. So, 
what would you like to speak of now? I can accuse you of destroying our um, parliamentary system. Let's do that bit. I'm, I'm anxious to find out how I have destroyed our parliamentary system. This turned into damn near nine minutes of conversation about New Zealand politics. So I've cut it out and tacked it on to the end of the show for anybody who, having listened to an episode, still wants to hear even more of our voices. And to that person, I salute you. All right, so apparently Ben was correct, and it is actually all my fault. Fair enough. I thought you needed to know. Do you feel, do you feel better now? <laughs> no. So what was your idea, Craig? Okay, I um, didn't look up Juan Bobo, mostly because I sort of looked at this and an idea came to mind. And my usual <laughs> trick of just let's just Google the phrase and see what happens really only works when I've run out of ideas. So that's how I ended up with my bizarre monastic Scooby-Doo exercise for Cenobite Scooby-Doo. You didn't want to sully your perfect, fully formed idea with like any facts or whatever. Well, because I had absolutely no idea about the existence of Juan Bobo, I assumed it was just a name that Will had put in there because he thought it sounded good. Right. This also is partially the fault of, or more accurately stolen from, the fact that I went back to the very start of the Monkeys Took My Jetpack podcast, and I've been listening through those. And I thought I would only listen to a few of them, and I've hit episodes in the high 20s, so at this point I think I'm just in it for the duration. But they've been playing a lot of Sorcerer of Zoe, mm-hmm. which, as a game, is very fairy tale. So that kind of put me in mind of, well, the, there's a setting. And then the other thing that came to mind is a spot on my travels through the US. A friend advised me to go and visit Washington Park in Portland, which is a very lovely park, and they've got redwoods. And in particular, there was a viewing platform that... I realized if you stood in just the right place, it essentially looked like you were standing at the prow of a ship, kind of Titanic style, except sailing through a forest. Cool. Weird, but cool. Yeah, and that more or less gave me the setup here. And for some reason, the name of Juan Bobo just sounded like the name of a monkey. Not sure why. I kept getting Bedtime for Bonzo and Bedtime for Bobo stuck in my head, so that might be why. Okay, so it's Ronald Reagan films. All right. So, one Bobo is a monkey. Maybe a stuffed toy monkey. Maybe a circus monkey. Doesn't really matter. But one Bobo styles himself as a great explorer and adventurer. It is the captain of a ship that inexplicably sails through forests and on land and that sort of thing. So, a geographically curious George. Nice. Very nice. Geographically curious George. Like it. So yes, this is Juan Bobo. I sort of imagine a monkey of fairly standard, um, I don't know, maybe knee-high, but wearing elaborate or at least vaguely piratical and explorer sort of uniform. Juan Bobo is an idiot. <laughs> but he's a legend of sorts, partially in his own mind, but also gets successes. And Juan Bobo and his crew survive their adventures and expeditions more or less unscathed most of the time. So think pirates from pirates in an adventure with was it pirates in an adventure with scientists it was the Ardman movie yeah it sounds a little bit baron and munchausen as well yeah a little bit baron munchausen but more of an idiot yeah baron was pretty idiotic at times but baron yeah no fair enough. bits of baron munchausen but also quite a lot of the pirates and a few mm-hmm. other things where you've got this protagonist who has a rather grandiose view of themselves is a bit of an idiot but it mostly works out, often due to 
the people around them. Mm. And at some level, they are aware of it. I mean, it's one of the things I liked about the Pirates films is that the pirate captain is actually aware of the fact that it's his crew that is hauling his ass out of things most of the time. It's nice that's acknowledged, certainly. Uh, at least that's what I took away from it. And so, <laughs> yes, the line in question, my life is essentially the tale of one Bobo, only dumber, is delivered by one of the crew, possibly the first mate, on the grounds that one Bobo is a known idiot. He's serving under him. Right. So, gamifically, never going to be a widely used term. No. How does that resolve? Gamifically, I think you are playing the fairly small crew of Juan Bobo's ship. Mm -hmm. Juan Bobo is probably not one of the players. I think Juan Bobo is the thing that drives the plot. That a lot of the time you are you are having to rescue yourselves from the idiotic situation that Juan Bobo has got you into this time. I'm almost certain this kind of plot device main character does exist. I can't think of an example off the top of my head. Not quite like a Mr. Magoo who just bumbles. He's bumbling. Yeah, not not strictly the, the mode, but the, the fact that he's the main character in as much as people are just trying to avoid killing him or a static round of cast as he wombles through the, the situation. There's, but there's got to be something similar that you know, there is a, a, a hard-working, slightly put-upon team trying to look out for this inspired but basically self-harm-prone focus of attention. Mm. I'd go with sort of as as level of idiocy, more and more I'm thinking the pirate captain, mm -hmm. full of enthusiasm, full of self-belief, not as full of skill as they imagine themselves to be, but are capable of bringing the rest of the crew along. They're good at inspiring people, and they, they're good at mounting these expeditions or, you know, getting people all fired up, but execution, not really their strong point. Indeed. And yeah, I'd be running it as a... A fairly light-hearted sort of game. I suspect doing it as almost in the beer and pretzels mode. If I was running this as sort of as an extended game, it would be for a beer and pretzel sort of game session where each session is one complete adventure start to finish. Mm -hmm. That's where I'd be aiming it. You've gone to do this thing. It's all gone horribly wrong. And at the end of the day, you haven't come away fabulously rich, but you've got some of the Aztec gold and the Chupacabra ate the rest. You survived the heck out of that adventure. Yes, you survived the hell out of that, I think is a very good thing to aim for for the end. Professional adventure survivors. Definitely, get, I think it's the vibe. Pretty much, yes. So, yeah, nobody's going to die over the course of this. They might get eaten by something, but they'll probably be barfed up again. And there's lots of ignominious fates, but the ultimate fate is you keep working for Captain Juan Bobo. Yeah. I mean, another example might be Jack Sparrow from the Pirates of the mm. Caribbean films, because he's a bit of an idiot. He's competent yes. in his own areas. Some of his judgment calls are questionable. I didn't see all of them, however many there were. Don't tell me there were five. But I get the impression he didn't really have a very loyal crew behind him. There were one or two crew members who seemed to stick around, possibly out of ghoulish curiosity. I'd basically go with Jack Sparrow, but treats people better. The pirate captain, but a monkey. That kind of thing. I mean, they don't actually have to be sailing a ship. I just rather liked the idea of inexplicably sailing a ship through a forest. How does that work? Very well, provided you avoid the big trees. Yes. How did we get in the situation? Don't ask. It's not worth explaining. Pretty much, yeah. Okay. That's where I went with this one. So the party are the crew attempting, as as stated, to survive the hell out of the adventure and try and make so, some sort of advantage out of the whole process, but largely to get as much of the ship, the captain, and the rest of the crew back safely as possible. Yes. I mean, you could do it with a PC-1 Bobo. I think 
you'd either want to pick the player carefully so that you don't get somebody who just takes it as I'm going to create as much chaos as I possibly can all the time because that would get annoying really fast. People who do that will be annoying anyway so and maybe even useful to give them their their head if they're going to do that sort of thing. System wise you might not do badly having a look at Lady Blackbird. There's a lot of interpersonal stuff but the idea of the travelling that would have more sort of intrigue and you might have to knock some of the intrigue and so forth, the personal stuff out of it a little bit. But I think it'd also be interesting to have things going on while they do the crazy adventure amongst the crew. Nice. Quags or fate are unfair things to throw in there because from a certain point of view, you do damn near anything with those. Yeah, similar to GURPS for an earlier generation. No, strong conviction that games, that the system matters and the system does at very least shape the, the experience. Hmm. Sure, you can GURPS anything, but you'll either have a game which is occasionally suddenly frighteningly fatal, or you'll have nerfed it to the point where it kind of not GURPS anymore. I was thinking you could get some mileage out of using Fate or Fate Accelerated, if you had one Bobo as a player, and just loaded them up with, yeah, they are effectively a Fate Point generating machine for the scenario. Right, for the Dresden sort of situation, they're running neck deep, so they are constantly on a treadmill of compels and so forth. Yeah, you set them up with a bunch of compels, overconfident. I am a great adventurer, this sort of thing. And a chunk of the time, what they're going to be doing is throwing fate points to other people to get them out of trouble. They're like a a high-speed laundering. Pretty much, yeah. They do a lot of fate point laundering, and people actually execute on getting them out. Yeah. That, that works. That, that's pretty interesting. I ended up doing a bunch of that for a Atomic Robo game I played at Gen Con a few years ago, where mm-hmm. I ended up playing Robo because nobody else wanted to. Weird. A focal canon character can be, some people don't like playing that. I kind of took it as the goal of, I am not going to run roughshod over this entire game. So mm. basically, every time there was a combat, I tried to get myself into the situation where I was just being bashed around, generating fate points and throwing them at other people. I think for the yep. final conflict, I was under two meters of rubble and a T-Rex. <laughs> and so it was mostly just attempting to help out by shouting insults at Dr. Dinosaur. And, and sometimes being the character that draws all the fire, either from a purely technical mechanical tanking kind of perspective or just kind of being the big glowing neon sign in the party is perfectly valid and can really work with somebody's playstyle. I think it's valid. I've not often seen it like built into a system. Well, to a degree. I mean, you know, the Buffy the Vampire Slayer and so forth with drama points and so forth. These people do all the combat, but the sidekicks have all the ability to change the plot. I haven't read the Doctor Who RPG enough to know whether that does that as well. That would be a good candidate for it, clearly. I don't know anything, enough about it. Whether you actually have someone playing the Doctor, I would be interested to see how they did it either way. The idea of either giving one player a level 900 years old Time Lord or making them into the most annoying GM PC ever, both have challenges. Yes. In the hands of that GM, because I think we all know who we're talking about, I certainly have an image in mind. (laughs) One Bobo as a GM PC would be profoundly annoying and would be left behind half an hour into the game. Yeah. Any tool can be used as a weapon. 
put it that way, if you put highly visible warning signs and safety catches on them, maybe it's less likely that they will be. Certainly by accident. So if somebody's going to shit up your game, they're going to do it on purpose. Well, yeah. And you know, that's helpful somehow. Seriously, that is, if, if somebody displays that sort of behavior, you can take it as read that they don't want to play with you again because that's how they're behaving. More or less. Yeah. Okay, so yes, that was my research light, by which I mean no research whatsoever. One Bobo. Nice. I actually like that one. Yeah, that sounds like quite cool. Like I say, Baron and I'm sure there's an incompetent... Because we've had a similar sort of thing with Bond behind the scenes episode from Yonderback. The idea of James Bond being basically Archer. He's the distraction. He actually thinks he's good at all of these things. To be fair, uh, for the character, Archer is actually incredibly competent at being a spy, provided he is drunk. So the idea of somebody, somebody actually being shepherded through these things and they are just the big blazing neon sign i think it'd be a fun idea in almost any system it's a bit of a release mechanism mm. you could fit that kind of thing in. it would have a different weighting depending on you know, like the brutality of the system and the seriousness of the world and so forth but i think it's still a, it's, like it's still a very valid kind of situation millenniums in yeah well i think in a game where you know it's like i'll just stop in this cl- jungle clearing to shine my my second lieutenant's bars <laughs> it's gonna be a very <laughs> very short messy punk- punctuation to well, we didn't get a chance to hate that NPC. Do you think the next one will be any better? That is fair, yes. You kind of got posited a question on the Big Red Couch chat space. Do you like to address Tim? All right, yes. This was a comment on... On the Big Red Couch Laura Depps episode itself. Okay, I'm going to have to just look at what the hell is happening with my email because yep what the hell when I, mean, I found some e- some emails from my parents sitting in my spam folder at one point which seems harsh <laughs> so tim comments on the lore adepts episode craig's idea sounds a lot like how mongoose's edition of rune quest interpreted hero questing hero questing involves taking on the mantle of gods and reenacting elements of myth for material benefits In the Mongoose editions, actually I think it might have been the massive amount of source materials written for earlier editions, it was established that, because the gods existed out of time, changing things in your reenactment could actually retroactively change how the myth played out for the gods. There was a group in Mongoose RuneQuest called the God Learners who were trying to change the nature of reality through targeted hero questing. Worth noting... Earlier and later editions of RuneQuest are set near the end of the Third Age of Glorantha, with the Second Age being lost to confusion and chaos. The god learners aren't around. Mongoose RuneQuest is set in the Second Age. Interesting. Very interesting. Okay, so you're rewriting your own deities. Well, you know, the, per- the performance of rites and rituals and so forth, and the changes over time, and, you know, since if the whole belief causes gods thing, make perfect sense that they change over time. Possibly not retroactively, but you know maybe the time that the mountains wrestled back in the ages you know those reenacted as sumo if they were wearing silly hats at the times maybe something tangential would be altered i am having trouble figuring out both how that would affect the game and to a certain extent how it wouldn't rewrite the damn thing from the ground up well that's the thing these they're out of time so Basically, you are editing what the gods' apprehensions of who they are is, Mm. rather than changing any period in history. But the gods will, because they're eternal, not know any different at that point. 
and you know maybe that's that's the thing maybe the the various pantheons of gods just been whatever's the flavor of the month maybe they're just that shallow interesting you could see it happening certainly if you've got any kind of theocratic empire or crusade going on then yeah that gives you something very very obvious to aim for of how do we get this guy to just calm the hell down yeah or maybe it's the previous the previous regime the previous theocracy made the god like this and you're trying to chill him out or something like that. Mm. It, it won't mean that the local version the Inquisition didn't happen. And, you know, that, that's just demonstrably what's happened from time to time. Gods have a changed appearance, and yeah, it's, it's very much American gods kind of negotiating with the powers that run the world because the world runs the powers. And it's an interesting way of implementing the I punch you in the backstory mechanic in a much more fantasy sort of way. It's it's certainly very fantasy. It's a bit of a bank shot as well. It's rather than, aha, I've gone and changed your mind. It's like, oh, I've gone and changed your god's mind. Mm. Do you want to think about what's going on there? Maybe maybe make a few different life choices? Nice. Yeah, I mean, I don't have anything other than that's, that's a really interesting take, both on the theology of a game and also on changing the gods' minds and myths and backstories, or how that then affects everything else. It's taking the edge off a god or possibly adding an edge to a god, as it were. Gods are pretty edgy. Cool. All right, well, thanks. Thank you, Tim. Um, yes, thank you, Tim. You should you should write a reply on the, on the board. I will do this thing, and I will also, once and for all, figure out where the hell those emails are going to where I am concerned and make mm-hmm. sure I actually get to them. This is not the first time this has happened, and it's starting to annoy me. And at this stage, I guess what we should do is maybe pull some cards, because we have an episode to set up for next time. Indeed. All right. I'll be right back. I am back. Will has updated me on Twitter that the email he sent the Juan Bobo idea in was sent in late 2014. So that is how quickly we work, folks. There were three other prompts that we've already done, but yeah, we're conservative with how quickly we go through some of the um, the ideas. They're all good. They're all they're all they're all perfect. I, I can hear little riffling noises. Alrighty, left or right. Left. Left or right again. Left. I'm hoping this has an effect on New Zealand's political climate. <laughs> Alrighty, I flip it over. Dude. What? Evil sidekick hangout from Will Myers. Thank you, Will. <laughs> and we might as well get 99 set up. All right. What is episode 99 going to be? Because we already know what episode 100 is going to be. Shall we announce the epic in episode 100? Nah, let's leave it as a surprise. Okay, left, right. Let's just assume we go left all the time. Left, left, flip over. <laughs> Canned pasta and other nightmares from Taz. I can't help but feel that there's a story in that one. <laughs> all right, well, thank you, Will, for the idea. Thank you, Tim, for the RuneQuest changing the gods themselves thing, because that's pretty cool. I thought RuneQuest was just about ducks. How many editions were the ducks in there? I don't know. I really don't know. I've never played RuneQuest. I got turned off by the sheer number of, of people who said that they they would play RuneQuest, but they wouldn't have the ducks. Whereas, I said, come on, the ducks are pivotal. I know nothing about the game, but the ducks seem like they should be pivotal. Yes. I mean, who doesn't want to play Donald Duck running somebody through with a spear? <laughs> I may have a warped view of how the ducks work, to be honest. It could be Howard the Duck running someone through with a spear. That's even darker. You're right. Or 
Scrooge McDuck doing it, which is practically just sort of a, a stand-in for generalized global capitalism, really. It's pretty much canon. It seems like the sort of thing you'd do. It's not gold all the way down. It's also uh, sort of business rivals. <laughs> Have you seen the reboot yet? There's a reboot? There's a reboot. DuckTales reboot. That's why I did the woo. Oh. David Tennant plays Scrooge, and it's pretty bloody brilliant at it. I think it's his normal voice, actually. So he just goes full Scottish on it. Oh, yeah. It's, it's pretty fantastically Scottish. Okay. Thank you to Tim and to Will, and we will see you next time for Evil Sidekick Hangout. Have a good day, everyone. Bye. Want to hear more of our shenanigans? Then go to hoarde.net and click on the button that looks like a couch. The Big Red Couch is released under Attribution Non-Commercial Sharealike 3.0 Unported from creativecommons.org. All music on the show comes from the album Universal Fluff Theory by Krakatoa. Visit them at krakatoa.com or follow the link from our page. See you next time! What would you like to speak of now? I can accuse you of destroying our um, parliamentary system. Let's do that bit. I'm, I'm anxious to find out how I have destroyed our parliamentary system. Okay. So as you are no doubt aware, and our, our viewers are probably dimly aware at least, New Zealand held an election last weekend. This will be three weeks prior to the... Oh, it was in September of 2017, future people. You'll figure it out. Yeah, by the time you're listening to this, that election will have been about four weeks ago. Indeed, and it probably will have just been resolved. If we're lucky. If we are very lucky. We use MMP, which is multiple... Mixed member proportional. Oh my goodness, you remembered that one here. To be fair, I do have my my voting papers in front of me. I'm trying to rephrase the acronym because it has to to go something something like mainly at the mercy of Peters. Nice. It should be pointed out that the way it works is that people will vote for who they want as the person representing their geographic region. There is a second vote for this is the party that I want running things. And the parliament is made up of parliamentarians who were voted in by their geographic area, plus extra people from the parties to make up more or less the right proportion of votes. And what this tends to mean is that every three years we go to the polls People vote for who they want, and then the same guy gets to decide who's the government. Eh, it's only happened like three times now, max. And it only happens if the country is really unclear about collectively about who they want in power, which I think is... It's the system working as intended. It's, it is actually, yeah, you're, you're entirely correct. The system work is intended. If there was a problem issue we've got, is that we've got two major parties, two minor parties, and a bunch of shrapnel. One of the minor parties is slightly bigger. One of the major parties is slightly bigger. But neither of the major parties this time could carry it off by themselves. And unfortunately, the cl- most closely aligned major and minor coalition, or possible coalition, that being the Labour and Greens Party couldn't quite do, couldn't quite make a government by themselves. Filling in for the audience, Labour Party came out of trade union movement. That was a long time ago. Yeah, a long time ago. <laughs> a bit left. Green Party, environmental, a bit more left. Please be aware, this is New Zealand. For our American listeners, this is pretty freaking far left. These are a little bit, a little bit right of Bernie Sanders, a little bit left of Bernie Sanders. So yeah, yeah. Don't think Democrats.
there's a whole fascinating story where they changed their leadership for six weeks before the election and one of the youngest MPs who happened to be a woman just revived the chances of the entire of the the, the party overnight and ran a really good race and nearly pulled it off the polls were, were, were fluctuating wildly for a while so it was a bit of a bit of a roller coaster but, you know basically if they'd stuck with the same party leader this wouldn't have happened because the uh, incumbents would have hit a fourth term which is ooh, not not quite unprecedented but pretty rare mm. it hasn't happened lately for a long time new zealand was a oh these guys haven't been doing haven't been doing me any good for the last three years well let's let's have let's change them and it was all kind of it was kind of a monopole or just kind of flipped backwards and forwards mm. Oh, we've been talking about politics for several minutes now. Let's let's, 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 let's roll this up. But basically, there is a bit of confusion. There's a gentleman called Winston Peters who run, who broke away from the centre-right party, formed something called New Zealand First, which is not as racist as, it, as many people overseas will probably think it is, but it's still kind of racist. He currently has basically the, the, the voting, the block of seats that could fulfil either party's wildest dreams and put them into government but he kind of hates everybody and right now he's getting all the attention and that suits him just fine yeah it's basically your grumpy slightly racist uncle has the deciding vote and he's loving it he is definitely not adverse to a bit of publicity as our winnie so i'm excited to find out how this is my fault collectively Special vote casters, like people from overseas, have delayed the process at least two more weeks because they have to count all the votes that are coming in. Boom. Thank you. <laughs> there was a mic drop in there, wasn't there? I could tell. Indeed, indeed. <laughs> That's fair. If it helps, once I got past the inconvenient at the very last minute, oh yeah, we need you to confirm your address details. Right. They haven't changed since six weeks ago when I last confirmed them. The getting signed up to be allowed to vote from overseas was a bit of an ordeal. The actual voting thing was just, you can now download the pa papers specific to you. You fill them out, mm. you get somebody to um, to sign them, you take a photograph of them and upload them. Oh, wow, really? Yeah, don't even need to scan them. So as long as you've, your name's been crossed off the roll in the appropriate place should they shoot it through huh i mean to be fair of the two votes the only one that actually counts would be the party vote the one for my area or basically if you put absolutely everybody else together they still wouldn't beat the incumbent well that's that's where gerrymandering comes from i do kind of have to snort slightly in the direction of people that oh you know your local votes are wasted because you know yeah sure they are unless the other people don't cast their local votes hmm I mean, we live in, a, uh, in a, a part of Auckland which is ruled with an iron fist by an ex-gardening show presenter. Yeah? Ugh. Yeah, Maggie Barry. She was so so nice to her, you know, the plants and flowers and people's gardens and spoke so cheerfully about it, but I think her ruthless neocon tendencies came out when she started dealing with the undesirables there. Well, yeah, if you've got a, uh, a sort of an iron fist with the rhododendrons, then... Hmm... Um... All right, so apparently Ben was correct, and it is actually all my fault. Fair enough. I thought you needed to know. Do you feel, do you feel better now? <laughs> no. <laughs> why would Why would you feel better? Uh, oh, dear. Incidentally, just because I think it's funny, running down the list of parties that you can vote for in, uh, in New Zealand, we did have the Aotearoa Legalised Cannabis Party, the Internet Party, <sighs> the New Zealand Outdoors Party, the New Zealand 
People's Party, and my personal favourite for confusing the hell out of everybody, the Ban 1080 Party, which has absolutely nothing to do with screen resolution. <laughs> Down with 1080p. No. 4K or nothing. That's kind of poison used for controlling possums. Oh, yes, we nearly forgot the um, Cat Haters Anonymous almost got a percentage point of the votes. Yes, I'm, I'm not going to name that party, or I prefer not to, because <laughs> screw that guy. <laughs> The galling thing is they had some really good policies. They're just presented by a total whack job who can't deal with people. Yeah. He's got a kind of a PR problem. I, I think part of his PR problem is who he is. But anyway, let's let's <laughs> let's see how much of this actually survives the editing process. I'm I'm actually tempted to maybe tack this bit onto the end of the episode rather than what's the right phrase? Shit up the flow of the show by um Oh, it's his gold, man. We don't get any better than this. And that's the problem right there. Okay, true. Okay, if Craig's nerve fails him, this is the end of the show. Thanks everyone for dropping in and listening to Ben and Craig's New Zealand politics corner. Next week we're going to be ta- yeah, tackling the political situation in Montserrat. <laughs> Probably with a great deal more um, accuracy and compassion, to be honest, but fair enough. So what was your idea, Craig?